0: Welcome back to the Finley Capital Podcast. My name is Logan Ricchetti. As always, this podcast is sponsored by the Hard Money Handbook. You can go to www.hardmoneyhandbook.com to download a free report to learn how to use hard money loans to fund your real estate deals. Also brought to you by the Facebook group, Powered by Private. If you are a real estate investor that wants to learn more about how to use private loans, hard money loans to fund your real estate deals, or if you would like to learn more about how to deploy your own private capital into private loans, that's the group that you want to be in, Powered by Private on Facebook. Today, I have a very special guest, a buddy of mine who is in the trenches with me doing what we do Uh, lending private capital, raising private capital. He has built a fund. He was actually the inspiration for my fund and a mentor for me on building my fund. And uh, we are now sophomores together in the private lending journey. His name is Will Coleman and his company's name is Urban Gate Capital. Will, thank you for joining me to have a discussion about private lending and hard money loans. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me on.
1: I'm, I'm excited and and it's weird for you, to hear you say that I was a mentor to you because you've certainly been a mentor to me in, in a lot of ways and especially on like how we structure our loan terms and just general advice on the operation. So yeah, always thankful to the the advice you've given us.
0: Well, I think it's uh, we have an interesting relationship forming here. We never met, but we are both trying to achieve similar objectives in different markets. So there are a lot of things that we have been able to teach each other and learn from each other, such as, you know, I've done a couple hundred loans. You guys are a little bit further behind that, but you're catching up. But you guys went the debt fund route early in your, uh, in your trajectory, and I did that later. So when I wanted to build a debt fund, I called you, and you had already done one. I actually used your fund attorney, and I took a lot of the lessons that you have learned from putting your fund together, and I tried to implement those to cut my learning curve. And of course, you know I've been helping you a little bit here and there with loan structure, operational efficiencies, and things like that. So we have a lot of things that we're able to help each other with, and I really like the Powered by Private concept. Of uh, bringing in all these private lenders into a uh, conglomeration together, so we can learn from each other and help each other. So, um, thank you for that, and and i like to keep that going for a long time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I I will say I'm, I'm a lurker on the the Facebook group. I I'm I'm not good at being like engaging on, on the Facebook group, but I see the posts. I'm, 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 I'm watching them and it's it's good stuff. The,
0: the Powered by Private group is right now, it's just in its infancy. We're not really doing as much as we need to to facilitate uh, things in that group, but I have a lot of things coming for that group. And Lowell and I are working really hard on some content and some strategies to help each other grow. And one of the ways that the private lending group will help each other is to be able to share deal flow. Uh, we, We take that for granted. But the other day I had a deal in Jacksonville, Florida that I couldn't fund, I didn't have enough available capital at the time to commit to the loan. So instead of saying no to the loan, I picked up the phone and I called three people in that group. And all three of those people were capable of funding that deal. And that's the value of being in a group like that, where if you don't if you have a deal and you're out of capital, you can go into your group and have buddies that do have capital, they want to deploy it. And you can work together to fund deals. That's a major, major reason that I wanted to build that group. So uh, that's going to be happening more and more. Another reason I wanted to build that group and another reason I wanted to talk to and be friends with people like you is because as my debt fund grows, I want to deploy capital outside of my market by partnering up with private lenders like you who have great deal flow in their local market where they're experts, but might be short on capital at any given time. And that's where we can fill gaps for each other. That make sense? It does make sense.
1: And um, I mean, I know we've talked about this quite quite a bit, but... One of the things you were very helpful in us is your loan terms are structured more conservatively than ours, I I would say, and in order for your capital to be, in order for us to have that relationship in a way that you could help fund some of our deals and some people in the group could help fund our deals as well. We had to structure our loans a little bit differently. And so it rather than doing like a straight, just, Hey, now our terms are differently. We've like slowly been basically new borrowers that come to us. We've been structuring our terms in a way that match more succinctly with with what you do. And I think what other larger private lenders would be interested in so that we can eventually raise from larger sources from people like yourself. So that, yeah, that's definitely one of the ways that you've helped us. And, And a lot of that has to do with requiring a larger down payment on the front end, Um, you know, you you have some unique ways in terms of when you charge the interest and versus when we do. And so we've been uh, moving in that direction. And it's truly been very helpful. And I I do think it'll help us get to the point where, you know, your long term vision of the group as well as Finley Capital can can work together on stuff.
0: Let's unpack a couple of points that you made in there. I think there's a really good learning experiences for everybody. Number one, what happens with every private lender when they start? is they typically offer loan terms that are, that are uh, less conservative than they'd like to because they don't have a lot of perspective yet. And they're fighting so hard to get new business. So which is totally, re- it's a reasonable thing to do. You, 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 you don't have a lot of borrowers, you don't have a lot of deal flow. So when you get a borrower lead, you want to make a, you quote them a term that they want, that they like, that's advantageous for them. So you win. What happens when you do that to the first couple of borrowers is they become conditioned to expect those terms from you every time. And, and that's also very common. It's just human nature to expect that. If you've given 100% of purchase price on your first deal, they come back for their next deal. They're asking why you, you're only willing to do 80% of purchase price now. And they think that something changed. And, and that's tough. So if you're a new lender, or you want to be a new lender, don't make the mistake that Will and I made when we started, which is to, over, to, to improperly quote our loans, because we don't know any better, or because we just are so desperate to get a deal. It's very, it's just, it's, you know, it's really hard to tell somebody who's just starting to start and be highly disciplined, disciplined and highly conservative, because you just don't have that perspective until you've done a few loans. But if you can do that, from day one you're going to condition your borrowers that this is how you lend and this is what you expect and require and then you won't have to change later and you won't run the risk of losing good borrowers that you had later because they feel like you're changing the game on them midstream if you're a private lender you want to be a private lender you are a private lender there are ways to structure your loans that are more advantageous for you but that are still acceptable to the borrower and i remember one that we had discussed i think it'd be a good case study just to look at quickly um, and, and really it comes down to the elements of a loan, how to structure those elements so that you as the lender are the most protected on day one, when you're the most vulnerable, right? So let's say you got a, you know, a loan where the borrower wants a hundred percent of purchase and hundred percent of repairs. Obviously you're not going to do that, but let's, well, you shouldn't do that. Cause if you're doing that, you're basically nuts, but that's a different story. Some people disagree and that's fine. But in this group of people, we're going to make loans that hopefully don't default. So that's what we're shooting for. Let's say you had a loan offer, the guy says, Well, I want 100% of purchase price, but I'll do the repairs myself. And let's say the repairs are 50 grand and after repair value is whatever 250 300. So you might be looking at this saying, Hey, look, Logan, this is a $100,000 loan on an ARV of 300,000. That's only a 33% loan to value. Now, that's true in the event that this property gets renovated, it will be a a 33% of loan to value after repair value. But what happens if the property never gets renovated? Mm -hmm. If the borrower never starts the deal, he goes into another job or he goes here or he he goes into default or whatever. Now your exposure on that deal for its current market value is 100% of market value, right? Now, that's not good. Obviously, that's not good for Will. That's not good for me. That's not good for our debt funds. That's not good for our capital investor partners. It's not good for anybody because if we have to default on that deal, then we're going to be negative between carrying costs, legal fees, closing fees, disposition costs, all that stuff. And in addition to that, if we don't collect the interest payments up front from the borrower, and he never makes those payments, then we're still carrying cost of capital for six, nine, 12 months while we're handling this default. But we're not having any income to offset that, right? Yep. So, That's one of the things that newer and newer lenders that want to look at, you want to be very careful that you have that skin in the game from the borrower on the purchase price side of the deal, not just the renovation budget, because that doesn't really apply until they've actually put it into the deal, right? That's really the big
1: thing you've helped us with is a lot of our loans were structured that way in the beginning of 100% of purchase price with the borrowers funding the renovation the thing that does help us in this in that scenario is almost all the borrowers we're lending to are people we've known for like five plus years. So there's there's a high level of trust with those specific borrowers. But uh, you know, after talking with you over the past few years, obviously as the market has shifted as well, we're we're much now preferring to be at 80 to 90 percent of the purchase. And then to be honest, we're we're still asking the borrowers to fund the majority of the renovation, but when we get pushback on funding 80, 90 percent of the purchase we will start to have that conversation about funding a percentage of the renovation. So the loan amount is the same, it's just a little bit different timing. Most of our loans now are in the 80, 90% of the purchase. And then we're still asking the borrowers to fund the reno, mostly just because we don't really have the systems in place yet for the renovation draws. We built our whole system process and team around not doing that. So we're building that out slowly. And the way we've been doing that is just on three or four or five deals, that we really trust the borrowers, really like the deals. We're kind of doing it on, on a handful of deals, but um, for the most part, we're 80, 90% of purchase and then asking the borrowers to still fund the renovation. All
0: right, a couple of things there too that I heard. Uh, obviously, the character of the borrower is probably the biggest factor in the success or a failure of a deal. Yes. So yes. I love hearing you say that you trust these borrowers, these are people people that you know, that, you, that have a proven track record. And I think that's, you know, that's 70, 80% of the equation. But even with the trust factor, it's just, it's from a business standpoint, it doesn't matter if it's your, your brother-in-law or your, you know, your best friend that you trust with your life. If the market sh- goes down 20% and you're at hundred percent leverage on the purchase price, you're all screwed. So you're all trust each other, but you're still going to lose money. So the trust is like the main is the underlying, the, the foundation of the equation, but then the collateral value is the rest of the equation. We talk about character capacity and credit. Those are the three parts of the trust, if you will, that the borrower can perform. The co- the collateral is that last factor, or really that first factor, um, depending on how you look at it, that has to be there for it to make sense. But if you're not going to fund renovation dollars, which is fine, I mean, obviously, you're in a better position if you're funding 80% of this purchase price and 0% of these renovations, because your exposure is 80,000 on a property that's worth 300 when it's fixed up. That's a heck of a place to be in. But My next question to you, Will, is if you're not funding renovations, is somebody else funding them or is the borrower bringing them to the table? And before you answer the question, if somebody else is funding them, are they funding them in a recorded second position lien? Because that changes the dynamic a lot. It does. Yeah.
1: And so most of the deals we do, the borrowers are funding it themselves and we we do verify liquidity we make sure they have the liquidity i would say maybe 75% of the time they are yeah they're funding it themselves in in the 20 to 25% where it's it's either a partnership or a second lien it's almost like i'd say 20% of the time it's a it's a partnership and in that scenario, we, we ask to see whatever partnership agreement they have in writing. Um, so the operating agreement, the structure, the terms, we, we wanna know in writing that sign the, the structure of that. And then we will also ask to see the liquidity of the partner who is bringing the liquidity. So we, we like to see an operating agreement, the sign partnership agreement, whatever structure they have, as well as the liquidity of the individual. The second lien, we. I, it's happened. I'd say, like, out of all of our loans, we've we've allowed that like two or three times. We will typically say we don't allow it, and and the only times we have has been like borrowers we really know and trust. Uh, but I, I would be curious your thoughts on allowing second liens on specific deals? Like, do you allow that at all or, or not at all?
0: Well, I am evolving on this uh, topic, which is why I brought it up. Yeah. I am in a, I am foreclosing on a, on a deal right now. I have, after 225 loans, I've begun to, got to have a chance to experience the foreclosure process on a deal or two. Um, most of them, no problem, but this particular deal has a second position recorded lien that's significant and the and that that position has some control over my ability to work out a solution with the borrower because any solution that i work out with the borrower is contingent on that position removing their lien that creates leverage against me in my negotiation with the borrower so from that standpoint i hate it i don't like having this recorded position behind me and uh it's very detrimental to my ability to just control the situation now that being said obviously you know, I'm still in the first position. So I still have the main leverage because if you're in a situation where you have to foreclose and you, you go through the physical legal foreclosure process, then you get paid off. Your, your position gets paid off. And the second position either gets a partial payoff or goes away if there's not enough money in the sale to, to, um, to satisfy that debt. But in order to, in order for that to happen, you have to go through the entire foreclosure process, which takes three, four, five, six, twelve 12 months, depending on what state you're in. So no, I hate it and I don't, want to, uh, I don't want to have more second position liens behind me. And if I am going to have those, I'm going to minimize my leverage on the purchase price down to 50, 60, 70% max because I'm tired of having, uh, I don't want to be again in a position where some other person's interest can control my exit strategy with my borrower. So that's the downside of having a second position behind you. Now, it's not a huge deal. A lot of it depends on that person and how they act act and operate. So it's good to know who's behind you if you're going to have somebody behind you. But the loans that you're describing where you're 80% of purchase, 0% of repairs, and the repairs are coming from either a joint venture or uh, a partner, equity partner, those situations in my mind are ideal for you because you still have the skin in the game from the purchase pr- purchaser and you don't have the renovation risk or the or the higher loan to value based on having that renovation. But if I could decide between having a higher loan to value and funding the renovations or having a low loan to value with a second position recorded mortgage that's handling the renovations, I would pick option A every day of the week. Yeah, I don't know if you would agree with that, but I definitely feel strongly about that because I would rather have more exposure on the deal, 60, 65% of the loan to value as opposed to 40 or 45%. And still not have somebody behind me and control the release of the draws, then I would have a lower exposure with somebody behind me. Now people could argue that point and maybe disagree, but that's my preference because I want control on all sides of the equation. I'll give you another example: if I, if you and I control the renovation funds then we can control the release of the draws and we can manage the project and we can see if there's a problem. If we don't have that control, if somebody else behind us is doing it there, we can't control if they even release the funds to finish the job. What if they don't want to release the funds for some reason, or they don't have them or whatever, or even worse, what if they release all the funds to the borrower on day one and now the borrower's funds, to finish this job are in the borrower's hands and the borrower controls them. What if they take those funds, 50 grand, they go finish another job that's closer to completion. Hey, they could do that. You can't stop them. Now what happens? Now you're in a first position, 70, 67, 80% position on the purchase price, but there's still a second position lien of 50 grand. And guess what? That property's collateral value never improved because the borrower never put them into, put that funds into the deal. This is borrower hard money loan risk. This is risk that is, that happens when you don't structure the loans properly, when you don't control the process, and so uh, when you and I a long time ago we were looking at a deal, and I said, "No way," but for this reason, this was the reason because, and you said, "Well, I trust the guy," and I, hey, I don't trust him, I don't know him, but even if I did trust him, there's still the ability for him to not finish the project or for him to get hurt or for the second position to not send the money or to hold it back or to go bankrupt or to get in a divorce. or There's all these things that can happen that have nothing to do with whether you trust the guy or not that could still derail the situation and put you in jeopardy. That's what that's what Will and I, Urban Gate Capital, Finley Capital, that's what we are working so hard to mitigate the chances of these things happen by structuring our loans properly so our debt fund investors have a good return and their, their capital is preserved and safe. So you know, we're, it's a work in progress. How many loans have you guys done? It, it's in the
1: ballpark of like 130 130 150 loans. Um, I don't know oh, the wow. exact number, but it's in that ballpark.
0: I mean, after you do 150 reps of something, you, you still learn, but you, you start to have a better idea of really how to do it. And uh, you, you know, you take some lumps, you take some hits along the way, you learn those lessons from mistakes that you've made. And then you implement those mistakes in your operating model. So they don't get repeated. Is that what you've done? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we've
1: been very lucky. I'll, I'll knock on wood. We've not had to go through the foreclosure process as of yet, uh, but we have had a handful of loans that did not go to plan or were extremely close to the foreclosure process. And and on each of those, in fact, I was just on the phone with um, my partner, Brandon, about a week ago with a loan that we structured the way we we're controlling the renovation, but the renovation has not gone to plan. So it, it is exactly like you said, where we have the ability to kind of manage the deal. Still, the plan has not gone exactly as expected. And uh, I asked my my partner, Brandon, like, okay, this situation sucks, but what what's a learning lesson that we can learn right now? Like, as we're in the trenches trying to figure out what to do, what is a takeaway that we can use? And I... I Big fan of Ray Dalio. The the pain plus reflection equals progress. I, any any tough situation, I, I think about that on every single one. So I'd say we've had two, maybe two to three loans. That one in particular that was very close to foreclosure. Luckily, it it didn't happen. And then there's a two or three that like have not gone well. I, I'd say. And on each of those, we've learned a very valuable lesson that we've implemented into our process, and exactly like you said. And I, I kind of come from the perspective of being grateful for those those lumps and those those um, those things because you and I are both in this for the long term. We're not trying to make uh, money over a two, three, five year period. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to build a company that's going to be how I you know, my vehicle for wealth and, and for our, our employees for the next 2025 20, years. And if you look at it from that perspective, every time something doesn't go exactly like you think it's going to be, it's actually a good thing, because then you can take that lesson and implement it. And now your foundation is significantly stronger next year and and, and the year after that.
0: I agree with that 100%. And I'm in that I'm in that, you know, that uh, 10,000 hours pilot thing now where you start to see some things bump. And so I'm learning from those and I'm taking that same attitude. Can you share with us something that you've recently learned from one of these deals that didn't go perfectly? Because I'd love to learn too. Actually, I'll, I'll go through the,
1: the the one that has passed because we're still in the, in the trenches of, of the, the recent one, but the sure. one that passed um, that, that worked out was the main lesson there was borrowers have more going on than they let you know about. So this is a situation, it was a bar we, we had done maybe 10 deals with uh we knew and liked him when we were underwriting the deal we checked his liquidity he had uh, ample liquidity for the re- renovation the, the renovation was maybe a $60,000 reno and um we did fund uh, 100% of the purchase price and we were going to have him renovate the the entire property and he got about 90% of the way through the renovation and and ran out of capital um, so his capital, you know, he had, he was managing six, seven projects at, at a time and his capital got allocated else, elsewhere and we were not funding renovation draws. We didn't have the ability necessarily to say, okay, we'll fund the remaining 10, 20% of your innovation. Um, ultimately, that's what we did do. We, you know, we came to agreement of like, okay, we will increase our leverage to f- finish your innovation. But the challenge is that he had already cut so many corners on the renovation because he was new he was running out of capital. we were able to get the renovations done but then the final product wasn't great he was he had to sell at a discount um, and it, it you know it ultimately worked out he was able to find the seller but it, it was a little bit too close to the nail that than we would have liked. so the major learning lesson for us was you know the lesson we've already talked about of baking in that equity on the purchase price so rather than funding 100 of the purchase funding Uh, 80-90% of the purchase and then helping the borrower out on the reno. Um, It helps in a lot of ways, right? Because we're in a better position from the beginning. And then also the borrower doesn't have to use, well, he still uses a similar amount of his own capital for the renovation, but we're more in charge of the renovation. So we're more included in the process. So that was a big one. But then also just being realistic of okay, we need to have a really good understanding of borrower's liquidity. It's hard to know everything that they're working on, but just be realistic of, okay, if this is a $50,000 reno and they're funding it and the borrower shows us 52 grand in his bank account, he's got other stuff going on. Like that's not enough liquidity to feel comfortable. So just kind of keeping that in mind as we're we're looking at borrower's liquidity. I, I would say that was the two main lessons of one, what we've talked about of structuring the capital on the purchase slightly better, but then also just being more realistic when we're looking at borrowers liquidity, knowing that all of their 50 grand is not going towards this specific property. You know, They may have an entity set up and that entity has one bank account and that bank account is specifically for this property. That makes a little bit more sense, but everyone knows you can transfer money back and forth pretty quickly. So th- those are the two, two lessons on that deal, I'd say.
0: I would say that my, I've learned similar lessons from the last six months or so as well that, that kind of correlate to what you're saying. What I've learned is similar to that in that the borrowers who use gap funding or second position lenders to try to do 100% OPM, other people's money, and then they try to scale multiple deals at the same time, they end up underwater. End of story. Because the contractors let them down and because the cost of capital over time eats into their budget, eats into their renovation, you know, eats into their profit margin. And if any if there's any market condition shift, any mistake in the ARV calculation, any mistake in the contractor scope of work, which there always is. And then you add that up with a high interest cost of capital accruing. And then you scale that all across eight to 10 properties at a time. These people don't have the capital. They don't have the money, the liquidity at all. They don't have the worth, the net worth to make all these deals, right? So... I am not going to be lending to anybody who does 100% OPM anymore. I'm done with that game. I'm not going to lend to anybody who uh, invests remotely anymore. I'm done with that game. <laughs> I'm, I'm just not going to do it because they can't be on the job. They can't see what's going on. They can't vet the contractors properly and make sure the contractors are acting ethically. And then if they're, if they're funding 100% OPM, they don't have any budget to be wrong. And another thing, Will, that I've learned on those particular deals is I'm never going to defer payments again because I'm getting my payments up front. I am not going to carry 10, 11, 12, 13 months of interest payments for a defaulting loan when I haven't collected at least 6 or 9 of them up front. It is uh, incrementally more frustrating to the investor, to the capital, to to the operator here when you when you have a defaulting loan or a loan that's going over and you've def- you deferred the payments to the end of the job. Guess what? If you defer 9 or tw- 9 or 12 months of payments to the end of the job and then the job goes bad, that operator, that borrower looks at their pro forma and decides whether they should keep finishing this deal or not. And they realize they owe Will 40 grand in unpaid interest and the deal has 40 grand in profit left. Well, maybe they don't want to finish it because there's nothing in it for them. But if they put the 30 grand up front and they paid three grand over you know, 10 grand over the course of the deal, now there's 40 grand left on the horizon for them to continue working on the deal. This is a very important point that nobody thinks about. If you defer payments till the end of the project and the project goes wrong, that adds to the equation of whether the borrower has any financial incentive to finish that job. And that's something that I would consider. I would urge all the private lenders in this conversation to consider is it doesn't matter if you collect the interest at the end if the job goes right. It matters when the job goes wrong, when the deal goes wrong, that's where it can bite you. And I am living proof of that.
1: <laughs> yeah um uh, I I love the your ability to collect interest up front you know if you have a six-month loan you're collecting interest on all of those six months up front as well as the down payment we, we've not done that on any loans we've not you know tr- attempted to but that is a phenomenal place to be I mean you've got the down payment you have the interest already for the six months the bar was you know extremely incentivized to get the project done because they already have Uh, more skin in the game it's a great place to be we we have structured where almost all of our loans now have monthly payments rather than having it deferred on the back end and and again a lot of that was advice coming from you which has been very helpful but man yeah getting the interest up front that would be that would be awesome (laughs) so you know kudos to you for getting being able to do that
0: will urban gate capital thank you for being on the show as always go get them
1: let's get it